Yes, hello, back again. Hitting record for a second time in two days. This is the Not The Top 20 podcast sponsored by Betfair. This is your championship penultimate weekend recap at League One and League Two in a different episode recorded yesterday. It's myself, Ali Maxwell. It's him, George Alec. Hello, son. Hi, daughter. You right? <laughs> I'm still trying out, son. It's not worked once yet. I've tried it on friends. I've tried it on colleagues. I've tried it on everyone. It has. What's the What's the thinking? Like, I don't really. I, it's just not very you. I wouldn't say. I think we should all be open to change. You only get one life. You might as well mix things up a little bit. You know, my core values will always stay the same. But the words that I use to say hello, why can't they change a little bit? But it's it's similar, given that you've been since adolescence, matey kind of guy. Mm. Uh, I, would, I would say the transition from matey to son is about as clunky as the transition from Marcelo Bielsa to Sam Allardyce. Oh. Topical and amusing. And fun. Yeah, so just seen it's actually Matt Lawton has just tweeted that it is going to be confirmed today. Big Sam back at Leeds. Sam yeah. Allardyce will be the manager. See, he could call someone son. Yeah. He's the kind of guy that can get away with son, not you. He spent a day at Quest last season when I was in. I'm pretty sure he called me son at least two times. Maybe that's why yeah. that's why maybe that's why I'm trying it. No, I think look, and I'd hope that if he if he called you matey, you'd have been like, mm, "Big Sam, you can't get away with that, mate." Don't, don't even try. I've been absolutely uh, delighted. Okay, um, I'm glad we waited. Actually, George, both of those results on Monday were significant, um, both in terms of the relegation picture and the playoff picture. We won't start with either of those. We're going to give some flowers to Sheffield United. They beat Preston four-one on Saturday. Promotion had already been secured last week. A huge week for them. Uh, a wonderful party atmosphere at Bramall Lane as they put Preston to the sword. Huge congratulations. Sheffield United fans promoted to the Premier League, playoff semi-finalists last season, of course, after a poor start under Slavisa Jokanovic. Then this season, FA Cup semi-finalists and second place in the Championship, automatically promoted to the Premier League. They've been a winning machine for large swathes of it. George Alec, take it away. Yeah, I think they deserve massive credit. And it's often the case, I think, with a team that comes second in the Championship that you can kind of gloss over how good they've been. Um, but as you mentioned there, after that really disappointing um, start to the season under Jukanovic, what Paul Heckingbottom has done to lead them to a playoff campaign and then follow that up with, so far, an 88-point haul, but that's with two games still to play, um, uh, is an unbelievable achievement and a great feat. And... You know, you consider the players that they lost. You know, Morgan Gibbs-White in particular was a, a really crucial player for them last season. Um, and do you think of the talent that has come through over the course of the campaign with Ilham Jai being one of the standout players in the whole league this season with Ahmed Hodzic coming in and being one of the best, if not the best, centre-back in the division. It's been incredibly impressive to see what they've done. And, you know, I believe that this has been a championship where... It was kind of suited to, for a club like Sheffield United to um, break into the top two because it's pretty rare to have two relegated teams in Norwich and Watford uh, end up finishing in 12th. Well, they're currently 12th and 13th. Like normally, even if those teams are, are you know, are, uh, have a poor season, you can be pretty sure they're going to at least challenge for the for the top six. That hasn't been the case, which has opened the, the, the door massively. But that's not taking anything away from Blades because they've not only stepped through it, they've they've run through it and done so 
playing great football at times. They've mixed it up loads, which is what I, I really like. You know, we've seen them being very possession heavy for a large part of the season. We've seen them drop off and let teams have it a lot. I think that bodes incredibly well for them on the hecking bottom next season in the Premier League, where they're not wedded to one style of play. They, they know how they want to do it. Um, and, you know, they when you consider that we were talking about the the, the challenge of Luton and, and Borough with regards to their um, second spot, and you look at the table now and... You know they're now what uh, fourteen points clear of of Borough with a game in hand, uh, nine points clear of Luton. Like when it, when it's come to really matter, they've massively stepped up. Um, so huge congratulations to their fans. And um, you know they had a very good season, their first season up last time they went up, and then obviously couldn't follow it up. But let's hope we're not talking about Blades anytime soon again. At the start of the season, they rattled off seven wins in their first ten. Then in deep midwinter, where other clubs often find it difficult, they rattled off 11 wins in 14 games. And then after defeats to the approaching Middlesbrough and also Millwall after that game, with the pressure gauge spiking, they've won nine of their last 12 to pull clear, all the while battling in the FA Cup as well, going all the way to Wembley uh, and playing very well against Manchester City, at least for the first half of that game. Paul Heckingbottom just has to get so much credit and I'm I'm a little bit chippy on behalf of him that he isn't getting as much as I think he should, hasn't got as much as I think he should uh, over the last 18 months or so. I think it's worth remembering that this is not a club with stability off the field and that, for some clubs, is enough to hamper on-pitch performance. There's been an unbelievably public and protracted issue at ownership level for quite a few years now. Firstly, uh, with the Prince and the former joint owner, Mr McCabe, uh, the the Prince uh, winning that battle, if you like, and taking sole control of the club. Has Prince Abdullah ever particularly uh, shown a huge desire to run this club long term and to run it in a in a in a way that uh, involves a lot of financial investment. Well, from the outside, it does not seem that that's been the case. Uh, ever since he has had sole ownership of the club, it has felt like he's been looking to move that on. And clearly, even in the last few months, heavily public and protracted uh, potential takeover by someone else, which is now potentially on the rocks, has hit the skids, etc., etc. Um, it all the while, there have been issues that have impacted Paul Heckingbottom. This hasn't just played out above his head and in the media. There have been issues with the training facilities. There have been issues with the funding of like fairly basic aspects of a of a championship football club. And he's managed to rise above all of that. He's managed to still uh, both manage upwards, which I think we're often told by managers is, is a very underappreciated part of, of being a football manager, is handling those above you, handling your bosses uh, and the, the, the different um, egos or characters or personalities and, uh, that they might have and the pressures that they put on you, while also managing a dressing room full of football players. Now, it's been evolution rather than revolution. Uh, after last season's F- uh, playoff semi-final de- defeat, you mentioned Ahmed Hodzic. He was the, the one big signing, the, the only player that they paid a fee for. They had one big signing in them and they absolutely smashed it out the park with Ahmed Hodzic. They could not have signed a more perfect player for what they needed. As Basham's uh, impact has waned on the right side of that back three, Ahmed Hodzic came in, an instant success on the field, now worth 
I mean, easily quadruple what they paid for him. That was a pressure signing, that. A pressure signing, and they nailed it. Um, and Heckingbottom is clearly has a huge say in the signings as well. This is not a manager that, you know, leaves that to everyone else. So he should deserve a lot of credit for that too. The loanees, Doyle and McAtee from Man City, you know, those were, were lovely loanees to get. Such talent. But he hasn't over-relied on them. I think sometimes loanees can, can be over-relied upon, particularly those that don't have loads of experience uh, at, at senior level. Um, they've made very timely contributions, and particularly in the second half of the season. But, you know, they were sort of bedded in rather than chucked in, if you like. Uh, and the squad is strong. There's no doubt about that. And it's needed to be because some of the injury issues they've had at times in all areas of the pitch have been incredibly difficult. Thankfully, they've had a lot of depth in each position. Um and I mean, some of the stars of this team, you think of Iliman and Jai, Heckingbottom's the one that's properly moulded him, that that trusted him, that threw him into the firm and has helped him develop into one of the best players in the league this season. That's absolutely for sure. And some of them he kind of resurrected as well. You think of think of the reputation of Ollie McBurney and how that's changed in the last 18 months. Think of the reputation of Sander Berger, who could have been a bit of a white elephant in terms of being a, a massive transfer fee for them that Chris Wilder could never work out. But Heckingbottom found a role for him where he's been consistently brilliant this season and hasn't asked of him things that he's not comfortable doing. Even a player like Jack Robinson, I think, has had such a big impact on this promotion and people wouldn't have said Jack Robinson is going to be a player that starts a ton of games at centre-back for a promotion team. Um, Heckingbottom deserves so much credit. Of course, they've got championship sure things as well. Um, Solid John Egan, the championship cheat code Ollie Norwood, but... Yeah, I, I just, I, why don't you think Heckingbottom gets more credit, George? Is it is it because the circumstances of Jokanovic leaving and him stepping in didn't feel quite right at the time? It felt a bit unusual, and I know that Blades fans, you know, were all in almost all in agreement about that at that time. Is it because people like to have strong opinions about managers, and after his stints at Leeds and Hibs, which clearly didn't go well, people you know, don't want to get their heads around the fact that you can fail somewhere and then do a 10 out of 10 job and be a Premier League manager just a few years later. What are your thoughts? I think the second part of it definitely comes into it. I think normally when managers um, are lauded, it's because they have a kind of blemished-free record, whereas um, Heckingbottom, you know, certainly in terms of the the Leeds job, took an incredibly high-profile job at a club with big expectations and... You know, didn't only fail, but was almost kind of laughed out of the club, to be honest. And and I can guarantee you that a lot of Leeds fans won't accept that Heckingbottom is the architect of this of this promotion, which is of course wrong. I mean, it's it's one of the many, many, many binary aspects of football coverage and football fandom, which doesn't really ring true. Which is that sometimes you know a manager doesn't necessarily have inherent ability that can be judged on a scale of one to ten. You know, Heckingbottom, I have no doubt, made mistakes at Leeds and at Hibs. And for whatever reason, it wasn't a good fit. Uh, and, you know, I remember everybody being baffled when he got the caretaker job in the Premier League. And then again, when he took over from Jukanovic. But he has shown himself to be the perfect manager for this squad, the perfect manager for this team. He carries himself incredibly well in the, in the media. I think he speaks very well. And, you know, whilst I would always credit managers like Farker, like Bielsa, like Company, who play the game in a certain way, you know, who have basically a plan A and that's it and that's enough to take them up. I think in Heckingbottom you have a tactical flexibility that 
um, maybe doesn't get the, the plaudits that it deserves. So you know, I, I you know I'm really interested to see how he gets on um, in the Premier League because even though I think Burnley are a much better team than, than Sheffield United this season. Um, in terms of the transition from being a top championship side to a Premier League team that would, is basically going after survival, I think the transition for, for Heckingbottom and Sheffield United should be easier, should be more comfortable because they are used to going into games and have done this season where they're like, fine, if you want the ball, we'll just we'll let you have it and we'll, we'll hit you on the counter-attack. Whereas Burnley haven't got that at all. Um, I really hope that Heckingbottom continues the great work that he's done and I don't really see any reason why why he wouldn't um but you always have to remember you know last time blades went up under Chris Wilder um it was more along the lines of, of the managers I mentioned previously where there was a very clear defined way of playing and credit to them they continued that when they went up and did it incredibly well finishing in the top half just um yeah I'm, I'm excited to see how they get on I'm excited to see how certain individuals get on I think Ilham Anjai could be um a popular player um, for fantasy football lovers next season. Um, <laughs> and it's sad we have to fare- say farewell to him because he's been a favourite of ours over the last two seasons. <laughs> I can't believe you just brought up FPL as a man who doesn't play FPL at well, all. Has I, no I, always, interest I, play in. it, I play it until like November and then I get bored. But I, I would have had you down as someone who might just say Illiman and Jai, who will be a popular player for football lovers and Premier League followers nah because specifically he's going to be really cheap and then he's going to do really well I love Illiman and Jai so much I can't wait to follow his career from this point um, we will wait and see what the club's off-field situation is because unfortunately and it's frustrating to say I do feel like that could easily undermine this achievement or any future achievement so um, that's something that that we'll be keeping an eye on as they go up into the Premier League, but I don't want to bring the mood down. Um, it's been an amazing season and a well-deserved promotion for Sheffield United. Um, Burnley, you mentioned there, George, the champions. Uh, they beat Bristol City 2-1. Uh, that means they get to 98 points, so a win on Monday, and they'll break three figures. Uh, has Manuel Benson broken the sport of football? Because four games in a row, he's done the Manuel Benson goal. I'm I'm ne- I'm never going to invoke the name Arjen Robin again when I talk about Manuel Benson because I doubt Arjen Robin ever did this four in a row. It's it reminds me of a glitch on Pro Evolution Soccer back in the day, <laughs> where you would just literally run down. I mean, in fairness to to, to the game, you'd pick up the ball from deep and you just you'd scamper down the right hand side and then you'd cut in and just fire it into the far corner every time. It is. Um, it's mad. It's absolutely incredible that he's been able to do this consistently. And it's something we covered um, over January in our, our YouTube video around the championship player of the season. It was like, well, you know, yes, we often talk about, you know, overperforming XG and the rest of it. But if you've got a player who can consistently score these kind of low XG shots, then that is something to be applauded. And in my mind, it wasn't sustainable that he'd be able to continue doing it. And it was interesting that there was a time kind of in February and March where he, he stopped doing it. And suddenly, I mean, that you have to ask questions of, of the fullbacks when you've got a player who is so adept at doing something and has done it consistently over the course of the season, how he's able to continue getting into those um, positions to have those kind of shots. Having said that, the one on uh, on Saturday was probably the best of the lot in terms of the position he's in when he has the shot. Like I don't really understand how he manages to get the purchase on the on the strike in order to send it into that far corner. Um he's an incredible player and 
you know, he's another one where I'm looking forward to seeing if he's if he's going to be. I mean, he's certainly not going to have the ball in the final third as much next season as he has done this season. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, one of the one of the best stories of the whole campaign and a, and a crucial reason why Burnley are where they are. How many games do you reckon Benson started in the league this season? I reckon twenty eight. Burnley have played 45 league games. Manuel Benson has started 14 of them. Wow. Half of what you thought. <laughs> That's absolutely incredible. I mean, he was injured for a while, wasn't he? He was injured for a bit. Yeah, he's been in the squad for 33 games and he started 14. So he's been on the bench. Nine, he's come that... off the bench 19 times. And he's got 11 14. goals in, one, in 1,489 minutes. Correct. He also has broken football and created my favourite bit of content from the weekend. This, a clip from Jacob Horsfall, which has made us both very happy this weekend. <laughs> sure that I'm to shoot. Yes, yes. I, I, I could not love that anymore, George. Some of the noises that are being made by Jacob there are just so perfect for what we've seen Benson do in the last few weeks. <laughs> Funnily enough, I, I want to draw back the curtain to last week uh, where we were in the Stoffice together. Uh, we went to a cafe near the Stoffice for pick up some lunch. Uh, it was a cafe that we did not realise at the time was a vegetarian cafe. Uh, we ordered what was <laughs> on the menu as a croque-monsieur expecting ham and cheese only for you to open it once we got back to the office and realize it was cheese and mushroom the enemy of george ellick mushroom and spinach which i love mushrooms are horrible though Bad. Uh, this this was your exact reaction when you opened it yeah okay let's move on to the playoff scramble and it is still very much that. Let's talk about the results. Let's talk about what happened on the weekend. And then we'll give you a little picture ahead of final day at George. Coventry did themselves a big old favour. A comfortable win at home to Birmingham City. Uh, 30,000 in the stands. Uh, and they were there to witness Victor Jokeres, my mate from uh, the EFL Awards. No impact on him from that 2am bedtime. Uh, he was in full <laughs> dem in full demolition mode. I was going to say he's in full denim. Full denim. <laughs> yeah, he was in great form, and they and you know Coventry made this as easy for themselves as they possibly could. It could have been a very nervy game, but to, to get the opening goal within five minutes um, was uh, crucial against the Birmingham side, who you know, despite I think having a great season in terms of being clear from relegation throughout, um, given where they were in the summer, um, are, are pretty goal shy. So I think as soon as Coventry went ahead, they could be fairly confident they'll be able to, to see this one out. Josh Eccles with a lovely finish with a good time run Jokres with a, a brilliant assist and then uh, Jokres making it safe just before half time um, it was as you say a, a pretty cosy win from there from then on uh, Birmingham not threatening too much and Coventry now put themselves in a really good position um, to end up in that top six they're currently on fifth on 69 points with results elsewhere um, kind of going their way I guess the result we'll talk about in a second on, on Monday afternoon certainly was was a good one for them. Um, and it means that given their better goal difference than West Brom, for example, um, albeit they 
they are two goals better than uh, than Sunderland as it stands at the moment. But that would, of course, be reversed if Coventry were to lose at Borough on final day and Sunderland were to win. Um, so they are in, in a dominant position, I guess. It's um, for, you know they go to a Borough side who are in the spa. They're in the playoff spa. This is not the beach. <laughs> this is where you. This is where you go for a couple of weeks um, in order to prepare for the playoffs. Um, <laughs> And just a point, a point there would see that would see them home, and you probably bat them to get that given the position that they're in. Um, although, you know that, that it's fairly likely that I mean, and this is kind of an interesting wrinkle that this Borough Coventry game will be a dress rehearsal for the playoff semi-finals if they do finish where they are now in fourth and fifth. And I do wonder if that might change the mindset of Borough a little bit, where they might not want to go into this game and get beaten by a side they're going to play twice in the ten, you know, in the week afterwards. So that might not help things from a, a cough point of view. Yeah, interesting point, that Borough. Uh, off the back of two defeats as well, we're going to touch on their game against Rotherham on Monday uh, when we talk about the relegation picture. But uh, Mill will beat Blackpool 3-2 on Friday night. This one also impacted playoff scramble and relegation battle. We're going to talk about Blackpool's relegation in just a second. But uh, from the playoff perspective, this was a massive win for, for Millwall. And they played pretty well, particularly going forward, where they scored some good goals. Bradshaw, particularly with two well-taken finishes. Uh, Duncan Watmore, who I think Millwall fans would say has not had as big an impact on this team this season as they might have expected, but certainly had a big impact off the bench here and, and won a penalty, um, which saw them win this game. Now, it means that Millwall just need to win at home to Blackburn Rovers on final day to make the playoffs. It's as simple as that. A very, very strong home team. They seem to have kind of summoned themselves after a couple of poor performances uh, and, and they seem to me to be confident and focused and they will be heavy favourites, you'd think, to win that home game uh, against Blackburn Rovers because they have such a strong record uh, at the den. Um, Blackburn themselves, George, they actually didn't do themselves a, a great favour. Playing on Monday, drawing one all with Luton. Uh, defenders notching. Tom Lockyer for Luton, putting them ahead. Uh, Hayden Carter for Blackburn, uh, equalising. And Sammy Smodix almost winning it with what would have been one of the goals of the season in terms of the, the drama and the match situation, as well as the, the the strike on the half volley. But that bounced off the bar and Blackburn now have, well, on the one hand, they've got a bit of a mountain to climb to reach the playoffs. But then there's an extent to which playing away at Millwall can be seen as a good thing because it's pretty simple. If they beat Millwall, they will finish above Millwall, but it still wouldn't be in their hands because of the, the teams in between themselves in the playoffs, Sunderland and West Brom. Uh, as for Luton, they've locked in third spot, uh, which is an unbelievable achievement uh, that will only be doubled, trebled, quadrupled if they can also get themselves to Wembley and win promotion to the Premier League through the playoffs. I can't wait for playoff preview season. Uh, well, just about 10 days' time. Uh, what else, George? Sunderland 2, Watford 2. Dramatic, exciting, Still not ideal for what Sunderland are trying to achieve. No, I think there are massive similarities between the, the Blackburn result and the and the Sunderland one where, no, it's definitely not ideal. And a win would have been so important in terms of putting their playoff future in their own hands. But the nature of the point and the way they went about getting it probably means that you kind of take it because at least it means that they go into final day still with a fair chance of getting in. It means that a win for either of them would, you know, 
well, I mean, certainly for Sunderland, would need basically need them to have Millwall dropping points um, for, for for Blackburn. If they were to win at Millwall, then it would be a case of, of Sunderland and West Brom having to drop points for them to get into it. But for um, for Sunderland, for Patrick Roberts to score the kind of goal that he scored off in the 94th minute, I think we've all been there at games where um, your team are have loads of men forward, you need to go in the last minute and rather than taking the easy option of crossing the ball or trying to like shift it again, you see the player winding up for a shot and you're thinking like, no, please don't shoot, don't shoot, don't shoot. Patrick Roberts shot and it was an incredible strike that flew into the top uh, top left-hand corner and gets them an important point and that could be really essential because it means that you know, when you're looking at the league table now, that puts them above West Brom on goal difference, um, which is massive. It also puts them above uh, Blackburn on goal difference. So had they not scored that goal, suddenly Sunderland's task of getting into the top six would have been made so much more difficult. So, yeah, I mean, a home game against a side with nothing to play for and a struggling one in Watford, uh, not ideal. But I think coming back from 2-0 down with 20 minutes to go, scoring a screamer in the last minute, meaning that you're still just one one place outside and you're hoping that you know one of two teams in Coventry and Mill will drop points and you win. Yeah, it's 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 a huge point in my mind uh, that they managed to, to get that later on. They go to Preston, who have dropped out of the playoff picture over the last few weeks. Uh, West Bromwich Albion are part of this as well. They came from behind to beat Norwich, uh, bouncing back from back-to-back defeats here uh, and bouncing back from an early goal or a first-half goal from... Josh Sargent. Uh, this was Connor Townsend, really, curling home a beautiful free kick into the top corner. And then the left back also galloping forward, getting to the byline and cutting it back for Jedley Wallace. Uh, those two coming up big for, for Baggies when they really, really needed them. I still have the sense that they are properly grinding at the moment, that they're finding it pretty difficult, that they are certainly not at the sort of fluid levels that you might want a team trying to push their way into the playoffs. And yet, with an away game at Swansea, a win there, and they will put themselves in with a chance, again, dependent on Coventry and Millwall and how they get on. The full picture is Luton third, 79. Uh, they will be third. They will play whoever finishes sixth. Uh, Middlesbrough fourth, 74. They will finish fourth and play whoever is fifth. Coventry are fifth on 69. Uh, Millwall, 68. Then Sunderland, West Brom and Blackburn are all on 66. So all three can catch... Or all three can get ahead of Millwall with a win if Millwall uh, lose. If Millwall draw and any of those three win, they will be level on points with Millwall. Sunderland have a better goal difference than Millwall. They would go ahead of Millwall if Sunderland win and Millwall draw. West Brom would also go ahead of Millwall if Millwall draw and they win. Because although they have a goal difference that is one goal inferior at the moment, those results would necessitate West Brom getting at least plus one and Millwall staying on plus eight. And they have scored more goals. It could go down to goals scored after goal difference. Blackburn, unfortunately, have such a poor goal difference that they cannot catch Coventry City despite the three-point gap between them because it would be a 15-goal swing. uh, And they... They would struggle to catch Millwall if Millwall avoid defeat uh, and get a draw because it would be an 11-goal swing. So uh, that's the state of play as we head to uh, final day of the championship season. Uh, down at the bottom, George, uh, it's a bit of a messy one in order for us to give the, the full picture here because there were some big games at the back end of last week in the relegation picture. So on Thursday, Rotherham against Cardiff was the rearranged uh, waterlog pitch gate game. And it was a big one and it was a very entertaining affair, I would say, for the neutral, quite a chaotic game. And it was won by Cedric Kipre, of all people, 
at the death for Cardiff. That result made Cardiff safe, meant that Sabri Lamucci has come in and done exactly what he was asked to do, and that Cardiff, as long as they can get their uh, get their stable in order off the field, will head into the summer with some positivity, I would say, with Lamucci at the helm. They will also feel that was justice for Waterlog Pitchgate. Uh, they then hosted former manager Neil Warnock and his Huddersfield side on Sunday at Cardiff, uh, but Huddersfield won 2-1. It was the first time this season they've had 20 shots in a game. They scored two goals. Uh, they had some fairly generous Cardiff City defending to thank for that. That was a big, big win for Huddersfield Town. And then Rotherham, having lost on Thursday and got a little bit nervy after that fact, played Middlesbrough on Monday, knowing that a win would make them safe after the weekend's results. And that's exactly what they got. A 1-0 win thanks to Hakim Adofin, a significant goal scorer, I think, because Adofin had been at Rotherham for the best part of a year by the time Paul Warren left. And he'd only ever started one game under Paul Warren. But he's been one of Matt Taylor's favourite midfield players. He's chipped in with some important goals. He's provided a real presence in the centre of the park. And he scored a beautiful strike from range to win their game against Borough. Rotherham United, George, let's start there. No yo-yo. No more. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, um, their fans will be incredibly relieved that they will be playing championship football again next season. Um, and there's been some great interviews during the rounds with players on the pitch after the game talking about how um, happy they are that they've finally been able to break the spell of six seasons of going up and down consistently. And I think they all deserve huge credit. I think Paul Warren, um, it starts with him and... You know, he left the club in an incredibly strong position when he did. Uh, but that doesn't take anything away from the job that Matt Taylor's done, where he has, um, over the course of, you know, since he came in fairly early in the season, has overseen a shift in playing style, quite a big, you know, a surprisingly big churn in terms of, of key players. You know, you mentioned Adolf in there. Hugo obviously kept coming in and has been almost the talisman of this of this resurgence. Um, Tariq Fosu, who came in and, and had played an important part before kind of coming out of the side recently. Um, and, yeah, I mean, you have to think this is a, a massive time to get it done um, in terms of, of winning a home game against a team that are going to finish in the playoffs. It kind of feels like in this relegation picture, for Reading fans, it has been miserable to watch because every time a team has needed a win... They've got it. You know, Cardiff had to beat Rotherham or, or vice versa in order to get themselves out of the relegation zone. Cardiff did it um, out of the relegation picture. And then Huddersfield go to Cardiff. Cardiff safe. Huddersfield needing a win. Huddersfield get their win. Rotherham, having lost to Cardiff, need a win against Borough, get their win. And suddenly it's now going to all come down to this huge clash. Well, we don't know because we've got a midweek game between Huddersfield and, and Sheffield United. And if it goes to form, especially with the relationship that Neil Warnock has with, with um, Sheffield United, then maybe Huddersfield get what they need from that game and then that final game between Reading and Huddersfield is a is a dead rubber. Um, you know, Reading could be relegated before a ball is kicked. So, yeah, it's been a very topsy-turvy last few weeks and, you know, Huddersfield are in a position where it's in their hands. They've got two opportunities to, to get themselves clear. They've got Reading's points of deduction to thank for the fact they're in the position they're in rather than, than getting relegated. Um, you know, as a neutral, I hope that and you know this is nothing against Huddersfield I hope that we get that relegation playoff on final day um, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if uh, yeah if, if, if Warnock's old mates do a bit of a favour that leads us to Reading 1 Wigan 1 Mate's late 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 equaliser 
meant that Reading stayed alive, as you've discussed, only just. They have to hope that Huddersfield lose to Sheffield United on Thursday night. That would set up a showdown on Monday at Huddersfield in which Reading would have to win. And if they did win, then the goal difference would mean they would go above uh, Huddersfield. Um, But it did spell the end for Wigan Athletic in the Championship. George, they came up automatically last season from League One and their season didn't start very well. Uh, Liam Richardson's time as as manager, such a popular manager and understandably so for what he did in the years preceding this one, uh, came to an end. Things were turning into a bit of a slog, I think it's fair to say. The form had been poor. The style of play was, was very difficult to watch. But it still felt like Richardson possibly could have had a bit more credit in the bank and, and maybe a bit more time to show what he could do. In particular, because the man that the board turned to was Colo Torre. Um, clearly, he had promised a certain change in style of play, which he set about implementing immediately. It couldn't have gone any worse, um, trying to change the style to that extent, uh, particularly with a squad of players completely unsuited to playing through the thirds and playing through their own defensive third in particular was a complete disaster. Uh, And Sean Maloney has been a good find Uh, since Maloney's been in charge. Wigan's points return has been just a bit better than, than, you know, playoff fodder, Uh, sorry, relegation uh, fodder. They haven't lost a lot of games. They've drawn quite a few games. They've conceded less than a goal a game, which is very impressive in their predicament. They probably haven't found enough goals really to to, uh, impact the uh, battle for survival. But of course, the damage was done off the field, George Alec. The, the problems with cash flow, the problems with late payment of wages and the points deduction that that triggered. Of course, if you look at the points tallies, they would still be in the bottom three, even without the points deduction. But you have to feel that that caused uh, so many issues at a time where they really did not need that whatsoever. Yeah, and instability is going to breed... Uh, negativity at a club as well you know you have a fan base who don't trust the owners you have players who are unsure of their immediate futures and their financial security yeah it's, it's not ideal I mean I just think this is another occasion where if you were going to do a you know a lecture or a podcast series on how not to run a football club I think the decision to sack Liam Richardson when they did and replace him with Colo Torre as you mentioned would be a very good example of just really poor succession planning and not really understanding that when you've had a manager who has had a who has had a successful team built to play a certain way under him then going and asking somebody who's never managed a club before to take that same group of players and do something completely different with them in a in a harder league is just not the way to go about things and it's no surprise that under Maloney I mean yes it's it's less attritional than it was under Richardson, but it is defensive minded. You know that Maloney's the the good performances under him have been based on, as you mentioned, a, a, a stronger defence. And I'm I'm fairly confident with Wigan that next season, in terms of just the playing side of things, like I know that Will Keane's obviously out of contract, which doesn't help. But this they've got the crux of a team that were champions last season. They've got a manager that I've seen enough from to show that he's capable. I think League One is a bit of a hot mess next year in terms of, of what's going to be left there. Um, it doesn't take much, but then, you know, you've obviously got massive question marks over the owners there uh, and their and their um, commit, commitment to the cause. You look at the, the, the summer window last year where, despite getting promoted, very little was done in terms of investing to try and stay up. Um, will Maloney be supported by um, the, the owners? We, we don't know. Um, it, this just feels like 
such an avoidable relegation where so much has gone wrong over, over the season, including a points deduction, and yet they're not that far off um, being able to stay up. And, and I've got no doubt that if they if the season were to start now in, in the way they're currently playing, they wouldn't be anywhere near the relegation zone, I don't think, if you were to restart at this point. So um, if I was a Wigan fan, I'd feel very let down by other people but I would have some heart, maybe. But then, you know, I also know there is a lot of talk of cost-cutting going into next season as well. And if that is the case, if they are to get to to to, to basically move on any asset and not reinvest that, then it, then it's hard to be too positive. Well, if I was a Blackpool fan, I'd feel pretty let down as well uh, by those that make decisions at the club, those who have been in the dugout this season, and the players that have taken to the pitch as well. Succession planning is difficult. And it's really important, George. I, I I absolutely loved Blackpool 2020 to 2022. Two seasons worth of football. I had so much time for how that team was built, progressed, how they performed both in League One promotion and in a really impressive first campaign in the championship. It just goes to show how quickly hard work can be undone, doesn't it? Blackpool will now be back in League One. Critchley's long gone and... You have to say what came after Critchley's departure has contributed to a, a poor season and a relegation. Yeah, it has. It has. Um, you know, I, I think that with both Wigan and to a lesser extent Blackpool, but um, the decision to, to change the managers they went into the season with the Richardson Appleton is symptomatic of the kind of footballing culture we now live in where um, it is... You know, owners are very quick to sack managers, um, and with this and this kind of idea that things always improve after you do so is is a fallacy. Um, well, now we'll never know if with Blackburn, sorry, with Blackpool, if Appleton has stayed, would they be any closer to to, to safety? I don't know. I, I don't think he'd done a worse job than Mick McCarthy is what I can say. Um, and I think what what came before McCarthy came in, and when you look at the the you know, the run of games that McCarthy had and the players that he had back, namely Josh Bowler and the players that were brought in in January, um, I would personally be on the side that, that they should have continued to support the person they'd given a long-term contract to. Um, I hope we're reaching a, you know, this season in particular has been just ridiculous in the championship in terms of the, the churn of managers. And it's just, it's not good for anybody and it's it's not the right way to, to go about business. But I think the difficulty is now season on season that culture becomes more and more ingrained and fans just expect it now they expect you know it's it's seen as being negligent if you don't sack your manager if you're not achieving your goals and that is even more difficult to the bottom end of the championship where you know you look at the budgets of the likes of Blackpool and they have no real right to be outside the bottom three you know in my mind finishing one place outside the relegation zone would be a, a, a job pretty well done um, and now they, they're destined to drop back into League One with a caretaker manager in place who you know hasn't done a great deal of, of positive work with no sign of, of who the next manager is going to be. They return in, in a far worse position than they were when they were promoted but with Neil, Neil Critchley in charge. Um, it is so hard, to I think, to unless you're a, a club of the likes of Sunderland uh, and I'm sure Ipswich next season, where the infrastructure is is kind of ready-made for the Championship or the Premier League, especially with the amount of fans and, and the revenue you get from ticket sales. It's very hard to bridge the gap between League One and the Championship. Um, but tearing it up is is not 
in my mind um that, or continually tearing up is not is not the way to go about things um but there's no denying that that critchley's departure from blackpool is probably the the catalyst for this and if he'd stayed there then i'm sure they'd be in a much much stronger position i always felt that it was an awkward transition in managerial terms from Critchley to Michael Appleton, um, quite aside from the fact that the fans didn't want Appleton for um, other reasons, um, just purely stylistically uh, a manager whose out-of-possession stuff was, for me, the key to their success, moving to a manager whose out-of-possession stuff is, is probably not the strongest area of his game, was always had the potential, I thought, to, to be a little bit awkward, also because of the squad of players that Appleton inherited. I think there's an extent to which the board possibly overrated the squad of players that they had because of how well the team had done the season before, whereas from, from my point of view, that was a case of a manager getting so much more than the sum of its parts. But that's not something that's easy to replicate. That's not something that all managers do all the time um, to get two managers in a row that get way more than the sum of their parts is like catching lightning in a bottle and they weren't able to do that. Of course, Mick McCarthy was a disaster as well. The sporting director, Chris Badlin, left in April. There's no permanent manager right now, um, so it's all pretty unclear. They, they need to make some good appointments in important roles over the next few months and, and there's no reason why they couldn't be challenging at the top end of League One because they should have a pretty competitive budget from what I understand uh, in League One terms. So, Blackpool, Wigan relegated. The third relegation spot not confirmed yet. Could be by 10pm on Thursday night. Could be Reading or they might have a chance at Huddersfield on Monday. Uh, last but not least, George, Stoke nil QPR won. Not sure what everyone was worried about for QPR when they were saying we'll never win a football match again and we'll definitely go down. Back-to-back wins and per opta, their two wins have been the lowest possession averages by a winning team in the top four tiers of English football this season. 19% at Burnley in their 2-1 win, 20% at Stoke in their 1-0 win. It's absolute perfection. I am perversely fascinated by what's going to happen at QPR over the next six months, where you know they're going to be a championship side next season. Gareth Ainsworth is going to be their manager next season. That means they are going to continue down this path and they will recruit as such and I am so intrigued to see how or or what Gareth Ainsworth looks to target in terms of players that he thinks are capable of reaching QPR's goals because let's remember despite them fighting off relegation this season I assume QPR are still ambitious enough to want to push their way in, in and around the playoff picture as they had done under Mark Warburton previously and if that's the case, then they've got to improve a hell of a lot, despite you know the last couple of weeks bringing Ainsworth and the fans closer back together. I yeah, I, I it, it could work. You know, I'm not here to say it won't work. I, I think that Ainsworth's proven at Wickham that he's a master at, at working out ways of winning football matches with technically inferior players. He knows um, exactly what is needed. I think he's got a great track record of taking players who whose star looked to be waning um, and giving them a new lease of life in a similar way to how Luton have, have, have really dominated that space in the last um, two years or so. I'm so intrigued to see how it's going to go. I'm delighted for him that he's been able to do this. I think it would always be, um, you know, it would be sad to see a, a, a guy who's obviously such a, a positive force of energy in the EFL who has such a great relationship with the QPR fans as a player tarnish that, that reputation by by taking them on this kind of horrible relegation so I'm delighted that that's happened but um, yeah I am 
really fascinated to see the profile of player they go after in the next few in the next few months because it has to change because you know the, these players are not suited to this style of play. I mean, as you say, the, the low possession stats, a centre midfielder not attempt not completing a single pass last weekend. Like this is, I always thought that when Ainsworth moved on from Wickham, we would see things kind of improve a little bit towards you know away from the the caveman football that we'd seen previously. But this has gone completely the other way. Welcome back to Loftus Road, Big Matt Smith this summer. Yeah, Bayo. Good shout. <laughs> it's going to be an intriguing final day in the Championship. Quite a lot's already decided, which feels like a shame, but uh, we'll be here to recap it uh, next week. A big thank you to Betfair for their support of this podcast. Uh, for the rest of the week, we'll have a betting show on Thursday, sort of early evening. Always a fun one, that, ahead of final day. Uh, we will have reaction to final day, hopefully with you by Monday night, first thing Tuesday morning. Uh, then a playoff preview next week. Uh, lots of playoff content over the semi-finals and recaps, etc. Playoff final previews, and then summer. Go out. Well.